All God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. Well, here's here's what we're going to do today. Uh, it's my last uh, Tuesday morning with y'all, I guess, uh, teaching here in a row. John Mark will be back next week uh, to kind of take on and start a new series, I guess. But we're kind of concluding this series on heaven. And so over the past couple weeks, we've been talking about heaven, talking about what's been uh, going on. The first week, we talked about several misconceptions that we have about heaven. We kind of hit just a few high points there on some misconceptions about heaven. And then uh, over the, uh, the next week, we talked about the theology of heaven, uh, kind of talked about where the whole idea of eternity comes from and how eternity is actually in, in the heart and in the soul of mankind. And so God has has created us to be eternal. When He created us, He put in us the very breath of, of life, and not just the breath of life, but the breath of eternity is in every man's heart um, for them to have eternity in them. And so we have always thought about it. We uh, Every world religion has the idea, the concept of eternity in it. Uh-oh, I just lost the, just lost the recording here. Um, has the idea of, I don't know what just happened. Here we go. Um, it has the idea of eternity. We have the idea of eternity in our hearts and in our minds. And so uh, that's because God breathed that into our very being. Okay, it's part of us. All right. And then last week we talked about, uh, we kind of answered the question, what are we going to do when God, um, uh, when God brings his final judgment and what is our response to our loved ones who maybe chose not to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, chose not to follow God, chose not to follow Jesus, and they decided to kind of go down their own path. What our, what our response to God's judgment is, and in, in a nutshell, our response is, is that, Lord, your judgment is holy and true, and that our focus is not necessarily on our loved ones. Rather, our focus is on God's perfect and holy and righteous judgment, okay? And we celebrate that, okay? This week, as we conclude, we're just going to answer a few questions. I'm sure some of you kind of over the course of the weeks have had some questions. And so we're going to kind of answer about five questions that everybody has about heaven. Kind of five of the most common questions that everybody has about heaven. And so we're going to be bouncing around in Scripture. So you might want to just go ahead and open up your book, your Bible. Um, you can focus. You can probably turn to Revelation because we'll stay in there uh, for a good bit and be bounced around in there. But one of the most popular questions, so question number one is simply this, is will we be bored in heaven, right? <coughs> and some of these questions kind of compile on each other, okay? So it's not just um, uh, we're going to answer one specific question. Uh, some of these questions will kind of um, pile up on each other. And so uh, to kind of help give us a, a bigger and fuller, broader picture of what heaven will be like. But a common question that people ask is, is will heaven be bored? boring? Okay, will we, will we be bored up there? And we've all seen Hollywood's kind of... Uh, uh, conception of heaven. Sometimes it's us floating on a cloud strumming a, a harp, which I don't even know who plays the harp anymore. Um, uh, 
some of us, you know, it's, uh, you know, as people just kind of walking around or droning around uh, uh, up in heaven, it, it doesn't look all that exciting. And uh, for some people, what, what they are really scared of is that it's going to be one long worship service. Okay, like like I go in and I sit down and basically we kind of sing and then we sit there and we hear somebody teach for like a thousand years. And some people, some guys are like, oh, man, I don't know if I can if I can handle that. Okay, and so let's let's kind of have an honest conversation. Will we be bored in heaven? And in Revelation chapter seven, verses 15 through 17, it says this. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Then in Revelation 22, verse 3, it says this, No longer will, will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. We will be in a perfect state, and we will be in a perfect place. Okay? We will be in a perfect state. We will be in a perfect place. And so, therefore, we will be in a position to do perfect things. We will be in a position to do good and perfect things. Simon Wheel said this, Imaginary evil is romantic and varied. Real evil is gloomy, monstrous, barren, and boring. Imaginary good is boring. Real good is always new, marvelous, and intoxicating. And that is so true. When we think of heaven, we think sometimes, we think of, uh, of, of, of being good. And sometimes for some of us, we might think, well, that's, that's kind of, that might be a little boring. It, it's the exact opposite, okay? Uh, we get to heaven. We are in a perfect place. We are in a perfect state. And so therefore, we can do perfect things. And it will be good. It will be fun. I like what <clears throat> Wilbur Smith said in his book, The Biblical Doctrine of Heaven. He said this, In heaven, we will be permitted to finish many of those worthy tasks which we had dreamed to do while on earth, but which neither time nor strength, ability allowed us to achieve. So we have to understand here that there are a lot of theologians out there that look at heaven and they say, hey, listen, now we are in this state where we have time to actually do some of the things we want to do. How many of you have started things and you just haven't finished it yet? Okay, how many of you that's been going on for years? Okay, guess what? You have all of eternity, not only to start something, but to finish it. Okay, there are some of you here. Okay, and, uh, and this I'm kind of I'm kind of going off into slightly a little bit of an uh, opinion here. So please understand that. But there are some of you here that you might play the guitar and you like to practice the guitar, but you're not very good at the guitar. Okay, you're going to have time to sit down and to practice the guitar, not just for a couple years, but for centuries, for millennia, forever, 
to become really good, okay? I've always been jealous of Van Halen, all right? All right, I love that. My son, he listens to Van Halen. We sit there, we walk, rock out, you know, to, you know, Panama, dun, dun, dun. How many of y'all are with me on that, all right? All right, thank you, all right. So, I know, you've never heard the word Van Halen in, in church, right? Okay, but anyway, so we're, you know, I, I want to, or Stevie Ray Vaughan, yeah, you know, a little double trouble, all right? But here's the deal, is, is we will have time to be able to, do things and to perfect things and to practice things. There's some of you here that, hey, you're really good at, at work, woodworking. Hey, you will have the opportunity to practice and to do those things. And guess what? This is all going to be in service to God. Okay? We have to understand that we are in heaven and our purpose and our point there is to serve Him. And so we have to understand that in the, in the realm of serving, that means that we are going to have to be doing some things. Now, what are those things? I don't know. I don't know what those things are. Okay? I don't exactly know what it means. I do know what it means to serve God, but I know what it means to serve God here on earth. What that looks like up in heaven, I do not know. So that will be interesting to find out. But we will serve God. And so that means that if we are going to serve God, that means that there is obviously something to do up there. Okay? So if you have that fear of that this is going to be like a forever worship service, to a certain extent, the answer is, is yes, because everything that we do in heaven will be an act of worship to God. Okay? But does it mean you're going to kind of go into a sanctuary and sit down and, you know, you're laughing about that. You must be bored in church. But anyway... <laughs> <laughs> but are you going to sit down and, and are you going to listen to a sermon for, for a thousand years? The answer to that question is, is I seriously uh, doubt that there will be a time of service. Now, one of the things we must understand is, is in all this is that there are mysteries to God. Okay. And. In Job chapter 11, verse 7, it says this, Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? Okay, so there's the question. Can you fathom the mysteries of God? 1 Corinthians 2, 7, and we're going to hit on this verse again a little bit later on. It says, No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began. We must understand that every mystery causes curiosity. Okay, When there is a mystery out there, it causes curiosity. I just read an article a couple weeks ago that there's a guy that finally has come forward and said, I know where Jimmy Hoffa is buried. Okay, He said, I know where Jimmy Hoffa is buried. Now, I don't know where Jimmy Hoffa is buried. But there is curiosity there, right? And there have been many books written about where Jimmy Hoffa is buried and all this stuff. And everyone's curious about it because it's a mystery, okay? Nobody knows what happened to Amelia Earhart. So what do they do? They go out there, they research, they explore, they try to find out what happens. So curiosity is really what is one of the things that drives us. And curiosity is not bad. Okay, curiosity is not bad. 
Will we discover things about God? And this kind of leads us to the next question is what will we know and what will we learn? Okay, what will we know and what will we learn? And there are a lot of misconceptions about what we will know in heaven. I've heard preachers state this from the pulpit that we will know everything in heaven, that we will know everything in heaven. This is not uh, necessarily and exactly true. Of course, go back to 1 Corinthians 2, 7. It says, no, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Some of that mystery about God has been revealed through the person of Jesus Christ. But other mysteries will be kept from us from eternity. And you say, Justin, why, why would those mysteries be kept from us for eternity? Well, we have to understand this, okay? If we can know and understand God fully, that means we can manipulate Him. Think about it. If I know, if I know and understand God's mind fully, if I know his heart fully, then I will gain the ability to manipulate God. Okay, That's why people have created so many idols. That's why people create so many things, different things to worship. Is because at the end of the day, they can manipulate that. They can manipulate that. Well, I don't worship something I can manipulate. Right? I worship something that loves me and that knows more than I do and that will always know more than me. Think about that. God will always know more than we will. He will know more than you personally. He will know more than us collectively, even in eternity. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that is destined for our glory before time. In Ephesians 2, 6 through 7, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in the kindness to us in Jesus Christ. Think about this. There will be an eternity in which God will constantly be showing us His, look at this, incomparable riches of His grace. So there are going to be things that when we get to heaven, we are going to discover about God, and we're going to go, God, you, you just blew my mind. Here I am in a perfect state, in a perfect place before a perfect God, and you are still amazing me. You are still amazing me. Guys, that's the kind of God we serve. Because look here, what does it say in uh, Ephesians 2 verse 7? That he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. The incomparable riches. In other words, this, these are things that we are still not going to be. I, Lord, I can't understand why in the world you would do this and why it would be so wonderful. Why, Lord? Would you do that? So we're going to know more. But are we going to know everything? 
Revelation 21, 5 says this. He who, seated, uh, he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. We have to understand that when the new heaven and the new earth is created, everything's going to be new. And so when all that stuff comes in and that is new, guess what? There are new things to discover. There are new things to learn. There will be new things to go out and to ponder, to think about, to look at, to write down. If God is making something new, what are you going to do? Uh, One of the things that really, really bugs me uh, uh, about my brother-in-law, let's just talk about family for a minute, is um, he's, uh, he's a real techie guy. And so he gets in your car, and the first thing he does is he just starts pushing buttons. And you know what he says? Hey, I wonder what this does. Boop. What does this do? Boop. You have six kids. You know what I'm talking about, right? They just get in the car, and they just start pushing buttons. You're like, what are you doing? They're like, well, I just want to know what this does, and I want to know what that does. And boop, 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 boop. And they just start pushing buttons. And next thing you know, you're like, how'd you get that massager to work? And they're like, I don't know. I just pushed a bunch of buttons and boom, it came on. Oh, that's so cool. Okay, here's the deal is heaven's going to be a lot like that is, hey, did you see this? Boop. Hey, did you see that? Boop. Hey, did you discover this? Boop. Hey, did you discover that? Boop. It's going to be a bunch of button pressing. Hey, what does this do? What does that do? Wow, I didn't even know God created that. Where in the world did that come from? How in the world did it does that work? <laughs> so there are going to be new things to discover. There's going to be new heaven, new earth. There's going to be new stuff to discover. There's going to be new things to go out there and look at. Don't you think when God creates a new heaven and new earth that there are going to be improvements? Something maybe a little different? That he's going to throw at us something fun to go look at. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 29. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And then it says this. Jesus says, and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest in your souls. You know, we think... When Jesus is talking right there, that he's just saying, hey, learn from me now while you're here on earth. But think about this, is that we have all of eternity to sit at the feet of Jesus and to learn from him. We get to sit there and learn. And the questions will become deeper and the answers will become richer And it won't just become, Jesus, why in the world did you save me? The questions are going to go well beyond that. And we get the opportunity to learn. Don't just think that when Jesus is talking, he's talking about, hey, just here on earth. When Jesus says, hey, listen, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. There's a little bit of eternity sweetened with that statement. I will get to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from him. And ask him some of those great mysteries. Revelation 19.11. 
and 12 says this, I saw heaven standing open, and there was before me a man on a white horse, whose rider was called Faithful and True. He judges and wages war. His eyes are like a blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. We're going to know, we're going to learn. There are a lot of uh, scholars that believe that there are libraries in heaven full of information about the discoveries that the saints have discovered about God. There's, there's some theologians that think that writing is still predominant up in heaven. You know, you open, it says, you know, that the Lord opens up the Lamb's book of life and see whose name is written in there. So there is a, there is a common thought that there is uh, massive libraries in heaven talking about who God is, what He has done, and, and the things that the saints that have died, that have gone before us, have discovered. Now, we have to understand that we are going to learn things, that we're not just going to, we're going to know more in death than what we do now, but will we know everything? The answer is, is no. And there are some things that are just going to be completely mysterious to us. An example of that is in Revelation 19, 11, and 12. And in verse 12, it's talking about Jesus. And as he is coming back to the battle of Armageddon, it says his eyes were a blazing fire and on his head were many crowns. And he, uh, he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. So there are going to be things that we just will never know. Here, the Lord Jesus has a name written on him that only he knows. Say, Jesus, what's that name? That's not for you to know, my child. It's a mystery to all of us, except for he himself. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That'll give something for theologians to write about, won't it? Don't you think they'd pontificate on that for years? Absolutely. So this leads us to kind of the next question. Next question is this, is will we recognize people? That is a very common question. So will we know? Will we learn? Are there going to be mysteries? Absolutely. Will we be bored up there? Absolutely not. We're going to be busy serving God. We're going to be busy uh, uh, discovering new things. It's going to be a lot of fun. But a common question is this, is will we recognize people? And this is a common question. The answer is yes. It's a definitive yes. George MacDonald responded to, a quest, to this question and he said this, Shall we be greater fools in paradise than we are here? <laughs> Shall we be greater fools in paradise than we are here? And the answer is, is no, of course. We are going to recognize people. The disciples recognized Jesus as he, he was cooking breakfast for them on the shoreline. In John chapter 21, uh, here's an excerpt from 1 through 14. It tells the story of how the disciples happened upon Jesus. And then it says, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, meaning John, said to Peter, It is the Lord. Finally, John recognizes that it's Jesus. And he says, It is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. When Jesus rose from the dead, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6, that 500 people recognized Jesus. 
After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom were still living, though some have fallen asleep. During the transfiguration, the disciples recognized Moses and Elijah. Luke chapter 9, verses 20, uh, 32 and 33. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw the glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter recognized who these guys were, and he knew who they were. Let me give you this encouragement. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 14 through 18. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Amen? Okay? And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. It's funny, this is what Paul writes to, to, to those there in Corinth, or uh, to those in Thessalonica, rather. And he says, hey, let me give you some encouragement, okay? Understand this, the dead in, in Christ shall rise first, and they will rise up into the air, and then we will get caught up into the air, and we will meet the Lord in the air with everybody else. Now that's going to be a family reunion, is it not? That's going to be, a, why is Paul encouraging those in Thessalonica that we're going to be all caught up in the air to meet Christ? Number one, we're going to meet our Lord and Savior. Number two, we're going to be around all those loved ones that we know. And it's just going to be a big party, isn't it? It's going to be exciting. It's going to be a good time. Peter and John, the disciples, they recognized Jesus in his resurrected body. Okay. Transfiguration, Peter and John, they, who did they see? They, hey, it's Moses and Elijah. They're, they're walking around with Jesus. We get, we get to see that. We know who they are. So will we know? Absolutely. Yes. John C. Ryle said this, there will be no point. He says, there will be no point in these words of consolation if they did not imply the mutual recognition of the saints. The hope with which he cheers weary Christians is the hope of meeting their beloved friends again. But in the moment that we are all saved, um, shall meet our several friends in heaven. We shall, not, we shall at once know them, and they will at once know us. 
So we're going to know. Paul writes. He encourages. Hey, listen, we're all going to be caught up. We're going to see Jesus. And hey, it's going to be an exciting time. We're going to see our loved ones. And we're going to see the ones that have accepted Christ there. Fifth question, or fourth question rather, is this. Is Will animals be there? This is a popular question. Now remember, I'm not giving you a definitive like, hey, this is... All these questions I'm giving you, hey, there are a lot other, there are more scripture verses to, to go out, to seek out, and to look at. I would encourage you to go look those up. Um, we just don't have time to cover every single verse uh, that scripture holds. But here's a good question. A lot of people ask this question is, will animals be there? How many of you have Fifi or Fido at home? Okay. How many of you love Fifi or Fido? Okay. How many of you, Fifi or Fido, is not a pet? It is a family member. Huh? We got a couple guys like that. Like, your dog dies and you cry. Like, you cry hard. Okay? Hey, your dog dies. And there is a question that, hey, will Fifi or Fido be up in heaven? Well, the answer to that question is, is I don't really know. Okay? I don't know. Scripture does not give us an answer to that question. But here's what we do know. We do know that animals will be in heaven. First of all, we know that God has used animals for a purpose. In, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 17, God used the raven to feed Elijah. In Numbers 22, he used Balaam's donkey. In uh, Jonah chapter 1 and 2, he used the great big fish. And so we know that animals are used in Scripture. Not only that... God commanded a man to rule over all the animals in Genesis chapter 128. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And so here is what we can also conclude in Revelation chapter 19 verse 14. It says this, the armies of heaven were following him. Riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Okay? So we know that when Jesus comes back, he comes back with the armies. And the Lord is riding on the white horse. And then he has the armies. And what are they on? White horses, right? Now I want you all to start to kind of put all this together, right? Who's taking care of the horses up in heaven? I don't know, but I'm sure that there are Christians here on this earth that love horses. Do they not? Do you not think that maybe some of these servants of God here on earth that love horses will be doing the same thing up in heaven, taking care of Jesus's horse? Just kind of now all of a sudden, all of a sudden it starts to come together, right? Jesus comes back to wage war. Against that which is evil, think about it. How many people in here like guns? <laughs> okay, you like weapons. There could be some weapon makers up there that are building swords and shields. Just all of a sudden, how are we going to serve the Lord? Well, if the Lord has all these angels and all these people and all these horses, well, those horses, they need to be taken care of. Who's going to take care of them? Just kind of think about that. All of a sudden it begins to kind of come together. 
Isaiah 65, verse 25. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the, like the ox, and the dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain. So we see here in Scripture that in heaven, Jesus comes back, there are going to be horses. What does God say? Hey, there will come a time again when the... When the lion and the lamb, when they will lay down again together. So there is this picture and there is this visual that we get of animals in heaven. Now, will Fifi or Fido be up there? I don't know the answer to that. But I do know this is that Scripture does tell us that there are animals in heaven. And that animals are used and that they are referenced. So that's just kind of something to, to think about, all right? Um, I kind of talked about this a couple weeks ago as a misconception. I kind of want to come back to this and conclude with this. Um, but a common question, some of you missed it, so I just kind of want to hit it. What about eating, rest, working, and sleeping? I kind of hit a little bit on the working part, but let me just kind of go through this. First of all, concerning eating, yes, there will be food up there. Uh, John chapter 21, verses 4 through 14 we're going to focus on 12 and 13. It says, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. This is after Jesus rose from the dead, okay? Jesus says, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dare ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. And we find that Jesus sits there and he eats with them. Matthew chapter 8 verses 11. I say to you that many will come from the east and from the west. They will take their places at the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Okay? There is no feast without food. Okay? You have to have food to have a feast. Okay? And so we don't sit there and just look at food. Okay? What do we do with it? We eat it. Okay? You don't sit there and go, man, we had a great Thanksgiving. What'd you do? We stared at the meal. That sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? And so why would God invite us to the wedding feast of the Lamb and we have a feast and there's food there and we'd all sit there and not even partake of it? Makes no sense at all, does it? So we will eat. Also, I just want to point this out in Luke chapter 24, 40 through 43. And then he said this. He showed them his hands and feet. This is Jesus. Okay. And while they still did not believe it was because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have something here to eat? They gave him a piece of boiled fish and he took it and he ate it in their presence. Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm hungry. Do you have any fish? But rather, he just said, do you have anything to eat? Is there something to eat? Does Jesus need food? Absolutely not. Does he need food to survive? Absolutely not. Not in the resurrected body. But Jesus wanted to prove it. So what did he do? He ate the fish. Again, as I referenced, you have the wedding supper of the Lamb, Revelation 19.9. Then the angel said to me, Write this down, blessed are those who are, who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Revelation 7 says earlier that we will never be hungry. Verse 16, never again will they hunger 
never again will they thirst. When you look at the original Greek in that, it means that there is no desire to have the necessity of life. Okay? There's no desire to have to have the necessity of life. In other words, you go outside, you work hard, you sweat, and what do you have to do? You have to drink, right? You have to drink. You have to drink. If you don't drink, you don't what? You don't survive, right? You die. If you don't eat, you eventually die, okay? It may take a couple days, a couple weeks, a couple months, a couple years, but eventually you will die because you do not drink or you do not eat, okay? So get this. When we get to heaven, we get to eat out of pleasure. Y'all thought about that? How many of you like to eat? Come on, I'm looking at some of y'all. Some of y'all like to eat. Y'all are a bunch of liars. How many of you like to eat? I love to eat. Chocolate cake with fluffy white icing, that's my, that's my gig right there. Okay? Love it. Okay? We will get to eat. And it will be a joy. It will be a pleasure. It will be a lot of fun. And what happens when we eat generally? There's fellowship around the table. When we eat, there is fellowship around the table. One of the things that I really want to, uh, to hit upon is that of rest, of rest and work. Now, I kind of hit upon this a couple weeks ago, but let's talk about rest and work kind of together. God rested on the seventh day. It's uh, stated in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. It says, uh, all the people and animals rested in Exodus 20, verses 19 to 11. God set aside a day to rest. Does God need to rest? No. God didn't, God didn't go, whew, I'm tired. He didn't say that. He just said, today is a day of rest. It's not that I don't want to do anything. It's not that I don't have to do anything. It's just today we're not doing anything. We are all just going to rest. And so we must understand that there is going to be some sort of factor of rest in there, in heaven. Revelation 14, 13. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this down, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. Hebrews 4.11 Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Matthew 11.28 Come to me all of you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Is Jesus just talking about here on earth? No, He's talking about an eternity. Hey, there will be a time of rest. But then there's also a time of work. Scripture teaches us that there will be work in heaven. And we've kind of already alluded to this. But please understand this, okay? Work, gentlemen, is a good thing. Work is a biblical thing. Work is a God thing. 
Please understand this. It is when the fall of man and when sin entered the world that work became mundane and painful. You hear me? It is not until sin entered the world that work became mundane and painful. The first thing God did with man is He gave him a job to do. Genesis 2.15 The Lord God took man, put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. Work is not a part of sinning or the curse. Rather, the curse made work tedious and frustrating. Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree which I commanded you, you should not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since it since from it you were taken for dust you are and dust you will return so we know that it is because of sin when sin entered into the world man's work became hard it became tedious it became painful well will we work in heaven i believe absolutely we will because what is what have we read before we will serve the lord so there will be work in heaven there will be things to do but will it be tedious will there be sweat and and will it be painful will we kind of trudge off and go oh man i gotta go to work or rather will we say man i get to go serve god i gotta go by and boo you're gone you ever had those days where you get up and go, man, I can't wait to get to work. How many of you have had those days? Come on, all of us have had those days. Man, I can't wait to get to work. I got so much to do, but it's going to be such a good day. That's kind of the day you're going to have. Okay, every day in heaven. Man, can't wait. Can't wait to get to it. But more days than not, we, we, we wake up and we go, oh man, I got to go to work again. There will be a day in eternity where we don't have to worry about that. Where we don't have to worry. We will be so excited to go and to serve. Jesus even told his disciples that God is at work. John 5, 7, 17. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day. And I too am working. God's all about work. God is all about work. And he wants... To get things done. That's what I love about God, huh? He is a God with a purpose. He wants to get things done. You know, everything He's doing right now is for His purpose. And so God is working and moving in the world right now. He's moving and working in your heart right now. I'm so gl glad I do not serve a lazy God. Amen? He is always working. He is always moving. He's always doing something. John 4, 34. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work and to finish his work. Jesus came and he said, man, I got something to do. I got things to do, places to go, people to see. 
Let's go. Let's get this thing done. And so um, that kind of concludes just kind of some questions, some common questions that people have about heaven. Um, I kind of didn't know how to end today. Does anybody have a question real quick that they kind of have about heaven? I'm not going to say I'm going to answer it. I'm just asking if you got a question. Kind of based on what we're talking about. Does anybody have a question? Yeah. Fifi's not here. I think that's a good question. Uh, I don't know the answer to that, but I don't see how you can be frustrated in heaven around perfection. I mean, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't see how we could be. But that's a good question. Uh huh. is a great question i don't know i tell you what though i'll go to the um to the to the to the parable of lazarus and if you remember there's that parable where jesus talks he tells the parable and there is a, a man in hell and a man in heaven and the man in hell calls out hey can you help me and the guy up in heaven goes man sorry can't can't do that i don't know jesus gives us a parable but it's a parable so it's meant to teach something spiritual. I don't know if that's a true reflection of that can happen. But that's a good question. Very common question. I'd encourage you to research it. Yep. It's funny, people say that, and, and yes, but we have to remember that there is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that we all serve, you know? And so while we might get to think I get to sit on my little throne, we have to understand who has the big throne, amen? Who we serve. Good questions. What else? I know y'all have some questions. Spit them out. Come on. Okay. Yep. Hey, Justin, pull up that verse that uh, you pulled up the other day about the fruit, 30 days. The 30-day fruit. There is time in heaven. Um, the exact address is in Revelation 22, is it? Is it tw huh? I think it's in 22. Great question. I got an answer for that. Well, and, and that's interesting because God is out of space and time, so again, people not understand. Right. But this, you got it? Okay, what is it? 22. Revelation 22 2, and what does it say? Read it loud and proud, Justin. Uh, the tree of life is on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruits, produced 
So there is time in heaven. Now, does that really matter to us? It doesn't. But we do know that there is a 30-day cycle in heaven, which is quite fascinating. So we do know that there is time. There's not a necessity for sun because God lights it all. Which, by the way, let me just kind of throw this out. And this is an interesting fact. But darkness can only be dark. You can only get a certain to a certain level of darkness to where it is completely dark. Okay? So if you go into a room, you turn off, it can only get so dark. Okay? So darkness is limited. Okay? Black can only be as black can black can be. Okay? However, light, on the other hand, can reach infinity, uh, can reach an infinite intensity. So no matter how much light you have, you can always have more light. It can always be brighter. Quite fascinating. Pretty interesting. It can always be brighter. That's kind of cool. So... All right. Anything else? Going once? Going twice? Guys, I've taken up more time than what you've allotted me. I thank you for that. I would, again, as we conclude, like to thank uh, Dr. Caton for allowing me to spend six weeks with you. I hope you've enjoyed it. I have. Thank you for allowing me to come and talk with you uh, here today. I'm here for more questions. And again, I don't have all the answers to heaven. I just hope I can give you a direction. Randy Alcorn's book... Heaven is a great resource. Um, He offers a ton of opinions on there, and he kind of takes it uh, slightly a step further uh, than I would. However, it is a great resource. It allows you to think through heaven and kind of have some of those aha moments. Like today when I said, who's going to take care of the horses up in heaven? Some of you all of a sudden had that. Now I kind of, okay, now I'm starting to understand what kind of how this might play out so anyway just kind of some stuff for you to think about randy alcorn's book heaven is a great resource it's pretty thick but uh there's nothing nothing wrong with that let's everybody get on their knees if you can if you can't uh i completely understand it uh god understands it but let's close us let's let's close out here in uh in a word of prayer i'm going to ask mike uh uh mike i forgot your last name starts with a c Huh? Cantrell, there we go. I finally got it. Mike Cantrell, if you would please close us out in prayer. Sure. So, Father, we thank you that you have given us this time and that you've shown up in this place. Lord, you continue to reveal yourself to us. Lord, I thank you for every man that's in this room and I pray for his health and for the health of his family. So, Father, as you reveal yourself to us, I pray that you also challenge us to evaluate based on what we've come to know and understand, what modifications and changes and adjustments that we need to make so that we can better serve you and serve others. So Father, as we enter this Thanksgiving season, I pray that that we practice the discipline that in all things give thanks. And there's no doubt adversity that's going on in the lives of people that are all around us. And in, in our lives as well. But Father, I pray that in that, that we So, Father, until you bring us back again, I pray that these men are...
Y'all have a great Thanksgiving.